The Holy Gospel according to Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. I have told you before, and of course many of you knew via common sense before I ever mentioned it to you at all, uh, that is that the Bible is important to us doesn't mean to say that every portion of the Bible is of equal importance to us. I, I, I share with you an example of a professor of mine who made that point by telling us this, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Genesis 22.21 on the other hand says that us was the brother of buzz. Some parts of scripture are more important than others. Our first reading today from Genesis 15 is one of those more important than others passages. It begins with three words after these things, which remind us, here we go again, that even the most important words of scripture don't stand completely in isolation, just all there all by themselves, but rather they have a context the words after these things clearly remind us of that by pointing us, apparently, to the things that happened previously, which it turns out is where we are first introduced in Scripture to a man named Abram, who will later by God be renamed Abraham, and who in Genesis 12, God in seemingly just kind of out of the blue fashion comes to in some way or another and speaks to in some way or another, to promise him three things. The first is a land, a new land, a different land to live in. Abram at the time in what is now southeast Turkey. And God doesn't tell him where this new land is going to be. God says, go, and I'll tell you when you get there. Well, okay then, right? Hey, honey, I mean, how'd that go? I've just been talking to God, call the movers, but we can't have him give us an estimate because I actually don't know where we're going. The second thing God promises is that Abram's descendants, who will be raised in the land that God has told them that he will give them, wherever that land turns out to be, will become as, as a great nation, his descendants. Abram, by the way, at this time is 75, it says, and he and his wife Sarai, later to be called by God Sarah, 
had really quite some time ago reconciled themselves to the fact that they apparently weren't able to have any children. In fact, and I'm sure if you look closely, it says it's in there somewhere, for the last 10 years or so, with the insufferable snoring they both started doing as they've aged, they've most nights been sleeping in separate tents and haven't even been trying all that hard for that let's have kids thing anymore. And the third thing God promises is this, I will bless you, Abram. I will bless you greatly. And then through you, and through you via those descendants I'm also going to bless, I will reach with blessing to others. And three, indeed, through you and your descendants, God says, your descendants who will be a great nation, God says, I will bless all the families of the earth. Great nations, it turns out, when God is the one defining the greatness, are not great simply for and unto themselves. They are great for and unto the blessing of the world. Perhaps I should repeat that. Great nations, when God is the one defining the greatness, are not great simply for and unto themselves, but are great for and unto the blessing of the world. Amazing promises, really, all three of them, and really actually quite unbelievable promises, actually, each and every one of them in their own way, except what does Abram do with these promises, none of which which comes with even an ounce of proof to accompany them? He believes them, for goodness sakes. And the reason he believes them is not because there's any evidence. He believes them because he believes God is the one speaking them. And he can't, with his eyes, see any evidence of the truth of any of them, but he nevertheless trusts what God has promises because he trusts the God of the promises. Perhaps I should repeat that. Abram trusts what has been promised because he trusts the God who's doing the promising. And how do we know that? Because God said, go, and Abram up and went. Sometimes people think of faith just as a sit-where-you-are intellectual thing or a pray-where-you-are spiritual thing. In Abram's case, however, faith turns out to be a get-up-and-go active thing. Remembered of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite writers over the years, Frederick Buechner, who wrote, Faith is the word that describes the direction our feet start moving when we find that we are loved. I'd like to repeat that. Faith is the word that describes the direction our feet start moving when we find that we are loved. Which takes us to our text for the day from Genesis 15, where we are now reminded, too, that faith, a powerful thing, isn't always necessarily an easy thing. In that land that God had promised, and he is, too, blessed, he is richly blessed, as God had promised, but more years have passed, and the aged have delicate, but the Bible says this, that some things aren't even going on anymore in terms of um, how bodies function. And Abram and Sarai, promised to be the parents of a nation of the descendants, still don't actually have any descendants. 
No child. And as far as what eyes can see, and as far as what reason can reason, the chances for such anymore seem several miles south of from slim to none. And so in Genesis 15, Abram, for all his faith, I mean, this man is remembered as the father of the faith. Remembered such by Jews, remembered such by, by, by Christians, he's remembered such by Muslims, the father of the faithful. But nevertheless here in Genesis 15, Father Abram has doubts about it all. I want to tell you that I'm glad scripture tells us things like that. It, uh, it allows me to keep reading and think that maybe there's even room for me in there somewhere. It also says that Abram shared his doubts with God. I want to tell you I'm glad that there's things like that in Scripture that are told to me also because that tells me I don't need to be someone, I don't need to pretend to be someone I'm not, some fake someone I'm not in order to talk to God. Where actually, as it turns out, the me that God really wants to hear from is the real me. So what does God do when Abram gives God his very real doubts? Well, God doesn't scold him for doubting the promise, but neither yet, neither yet does God fulfill the promise. Rather, what God does is repeat the promise. As standing under a clear night sky, not a city light within miles or miles, Abram hears the voice again. This time saying, see the stars, Abram? More than you can count, yes? So shall your descendants be. Which takes us to Genesis 15, 6, and a big time, bold print, large font, important verse in Scripture. Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Reckon. Dictionary.com. To count, compute, consider, or regard as. Righteousness. Piraj.com. Being who and what you are by God meant to be. In your relationship with God. Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. In other words, what? In other words, a right relationship with God is obtained, it is received, it is got, it is had, it is lived in, and it is lived out by faith, by believing and trusting God. This is such an important verse in Scripture, Luther called it one of the foremost verses in all of Scripture, Old Testament or New, and Luther was a, was a gospel guy. This was one of the most important verses in all of Scripture, Luther said, because it's the very first place in Scripture where that is explicitly said. This is the first place in Scripture that faith is explicitly commended. For how, Luther writes, does Abram obtain righteousness here? In this way, he answers, God speaks. And Abram believes what God is saying. 
God promises, and Abram believes the promise. He does not see everything God is promising. I mean, in the case of this whole countless descendants thing, he can't see anything at all. But he trusts what God is promising, even without being able to see. I had an idea this morning. If that verse is so important, um, I want to send you home with it. We're going to memorize it. Okay? Repeat after me. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Smunch it together. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. There will be no test, but take it home. God promises, and Abram believes the promise. He trusts what God is saying, even without being able to see. Which takes us to the beautiful and also big-time important verse from our second reading for today. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Oh my goodness, I can't help it, folks. I gotta send you home with that one too. Repeat after me. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I'm just telling you, that's handy. Carry it along. I would also mention the corollary, by the way, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction that God's promises are true, even sometimes in flat-out spite of what you're seeing at the moment. So, for example, I've watched both my father and my mother and countless others, too, whom I have known and loved and pastored, take their last breath right before my eyes. And all my eyes could see then was the end. But trusting the promise, faith can see the beginning. The opposite of faith, by the way, and the letter to the Hebrews actually says this earlier, the opposite of faith is not actually necessarily unbelief. Remember, even Father Abraham had his doubts. The opposite of faith is fear. My father in particular died quite a difficult death. I mean, in those days, this was 36 years ago, um, this is prior to hospice types of care existing in small towns in Iowa. My father suffered unto death. He did not fear unto death. 
Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and as such, faith is the place where fear goes to die. Perhaps I should repeat that. Faith is the place where fear goes to die. And so who is the first one in Scripture? At least in our passage, there's a couple mentioned in a couple of verses that are missing. But who is lifted up in Scripture in Hebrews 11 at length as an exemplar of such? Father Abraham. And so Hebrews 11 reads, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was received as an inheritance, and he set out not even knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, and as in a foreign land, living in tents, for he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah was barren, because he considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and him as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of the heaven. As that passage mentions, Abram never did in his life, never in his life, saw the complete fulfillment of that promise with his own eyes. He did, in time, see the first tiny but crucial step in the fulfillment of the promise when he saw his wife at long last birth his son. But beyond that, well, he, like all believers, finally, says Hebrews, greeted the full and final and ultimate fulfillment of the promise from afar. For ultimately, says Hebrews, his eyes were not set on this world and his short time in it, but on God and on God's kingdom and the promise of it. Walking, in other words, says Hebrews, toward the land of promise in this world, he was nevertheless simultaneously with the eyes of his heart focused on the promise of a land and a world and a kingdom and a king to come. Which takes us to you. You who, you maybe never have realized this, but just like Abraham, you can actually hear God speak. Because why? Because the king, God's word in the flesh, Jesus has come and will come again. No matter what your eyes sometimes see or can't see, you have promises, words of promise. Words like, do not be afraid, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice, to give you the kingdom. This is a gift we're talking about. Sell your possessions. Notice, people, stuff is just stuff. Don't marry your hearts to it. And give alms. Notice, be generous to those who don't have some of the stuff they need. It'll do them good and it'll do your heart good too. And make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. Because why? Because they're not made of stuff. They're made of faith. In which is held, tucked, carried, the promise of an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be. Brothers and sisters, in the waters of baptism, God up and spoke to you. You are mine, he said, now and forever. And in the red bread and wine of communion, God up and speaks to you again and again and again. You know the screwing up you've screwed up, he said. You know the sins you've sinned, I forgive them. They don't change the fact. You are mine now and forever. So? So have no fear. So, too, so the kingdom to come is the kingdom of God's grace and mercy and love. Walk toward it. Walk in it. For faith is the direction your feet start moving when you find that you are loved. But remember, the blessed are called to be a blessing. Which is to say that when you find that you are by God, oh, so loved, faith's feet are the feet that move in the direction of God's love that is not just for you, but for others too. Amen.